Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast, presented by STBB. A conversation dedicated to answering your legal questions and a platform where our team of specialist attorneys share their expert advice and legal know-how with South Africans. Welcome to Legally Speaking, where we are going to be addressing today the issue of insolvency and what it means for a creditor wanting to use insolvency as a mechanism of collecting debts. And with me today, I have Stefan Hogart, who will be discussing insolvency as a leading expert at STBB on the matter. Welcome, Stefan. Thanks, Leonie. I'm looking forward to chatting about this topic. So first of all, I think the what our listeners would like to know is what does insolvency actually mean? Well, I, I think it's important to firstly draw the distinction between um, insolvency in the context of a natural person and a trust versus entities such as a company or a CC. In general, insolvency is is what it means is, is to be bankrupt essentially that your liabilities exceed your assets. Um, that's uh, the more conventional way of defining it. That is what you are required to prove when it comes to a natural person or a trust. When it comes to companies, there is a, a lower threshold in the sense that you can be also considered to be commercially insolvent, which means you can't pay your debts as and when they arise. So that's commercial insolvency. The first example is factual insolvency. So we've spoken about what it is to be insolvent, but let's get down to the basics. How are you actually declared insolvent? And from what I can understand, you've got your different entities and they have different means of declaring insolvency. I'm going to limit this answer again from the perspective of a a creditor in the sense that how do you have your debtor declared insolvent? Now, there are various ways to skin a cat. I'm going to just stick to the more basics. Insolvency or being declared insolvent is quite a robust step in the sense that it is a a change in the status of the the person or the company. So ultimately, only a court can declare a party insolvent. In the context of a natural person of trust, it's called sequestrating that um, party's or individual's estate. When it comes to a company, it means liquidating it. So you have to launch an application to the high court and you have to prove certain elements. So, I mean, it's always premised on there being a debt that is liquid in the sense that it can't be a damages claim. So an example would be just money owed in terms of a loan agreement or rental, et cetera, et cetera. So you have to obviously prove your debt. When it comes to a natural person, though, or a trust, you have to obviously prove factual insolvency, but you have also have to prove that the insolvency or being declared insolvent, i.e. sequestrating the party, will have a benefit to creditors. That's quite a big onus to prove on the creditor because it's such a robust step, changing the status of a person. That means that your creditors will, if proven a claim, will actually get something out of it. Legal term is that they will have a non-negligible dividend out of it. So you just have to show that the creditors will actually gain from declaring the person solvent. When it comes to a company, as I said earlier, the threshold is, is a lot lower. You have to essentially only prove that the company cannot pay its debts as and when it arises and that it's needed for the company to be liquidated so that the debt collection steps can be implemented. So yes, liquidating an entity threshold is a lot lower. So we've spoken about factual insolvency and declaring a person insolvent, which is an actual formal step from from what it seems. But what happens when your debtor is declared insolvent. So you as a creditor may have a claim against uh, someone, uh, a natural person or a company or a trust, and now this person is declared insolvent. What happens then? 
Yeah, so um, if you manage to sequestrate a person's estate or successful in liquidating a company, it's essentially a line drawn in the sand. We call it, a, there's a moratorium on the estate, a kind of a freeze of all transactions in the sense that the party that's been sequestrated or company liquidated can't transact going further and a trustee for the insolvent estate of a natural person or a liquidator in the context of a company is then appointed to take control of this insolvent estate, what you would call it at that stage. That trustee or liquidator, depending on the context, will take steps to wind up the estate, which essentially means liquidating the assets and distributing it amongst creditors that ultimately prove claims in the insolvent estate which will then be paid out in, in accordance with a specific preference. The creditors are secured, such as a, a bank with a mortgage over a property, or there's a preference creditor, such as SARS, or even a concurrent creditor, they will be paid out. But I think the important takeout from it is that there's this line drawn in the sand going forward, and the estate is being brought to a close, essentially. So having said that, insolvency can very much have a emotional context from a debtor's point of view. But I mean, what is the benefit for a creditor if a person or an entity is actually declared insolvent? Would it actually be beneficial to them to have them declared insolvent? I think if you want to look at more your conventional debt collection methods like suing a party for a debt, that just gives you a judgment in hand that you can then execute by way of instructing the sheriff to attach property. Where insolvency is different is that the trustee or liquidator appointed has far-reaching powers. It extends a lot further than what the sheriff can do in that the liquidator or trustee can actually start digging into the financial affairs and see whether funds have been shifted around or whether there have been any dispositions made that can be overturned. So the benefit in that is that you have a debt that you want to collect in the sense that you've proven a claim, but now the liquidator can go chase funds that have perhaps been paid to an entity um, where there was no grounds for it to be paid or where a property has been shifted to another person's name. We call that voidable dispositions. So Essentially, the benefit is that you can go and claw back certain dispositions. Another benefit is that, again, drawing back to what I said about the line drawn in the sand, is that creditors can't, can't incur further debt, which will ultimately be detrimental to the entire pool of creditors. So there's that moratorium that actually takes place, which is a, is beneficial for the creditors at that time in the sense that the, the, the estate won't be harmed any further. So those are the two big benefits, I would say. So looking at uh, a creditor uh, and considering his options of having a entity or a person being declared insolvent, how does that insolvency status, uh, how is it initiated? Or is a creditor able to actually push for a person to be declared insolvent? Who initiates and drive that, drives that process? Yeah, so many, many parties can do it. It all depends on the context. I think let's, again, from the perspective of the creditor, the creditor will ultimately be a petitioning. We call it the petitioning creditor that actually goes to court to, to say, listen, I, I'm owed this liquid debt, um, but this party can't pay. So I want a court order placing that uh, a party's estate in insolvency, i.e. sequestrate or liquidate. It can go a bit further in the sense that from a natural person, that person himself can, can hand over his estate or surrender his estate, if you will. There can be friendly sequestrations 
or in the context of companies, you get creditor voluntary winding up applications that you can actually just lodge with the with SIPSI, the Commission of Intellectual Property Commission. So yeah, I hope that actually answers the question. So if I, as a creditor, would actually want to endeavor this process, how long would this process take and, and what would my first step be in initiating uh, this insolvency status from the data that I want to collect uh, funds from? Well, um, I think how long it takes all depends on the facts. In our division, so that's Western Cape, insolvency matters are generally considered to be inherently urgent. So um, because you... Again, going back to the moratorium of drawing a line in sand, that's quite important when it comes to uh, data exposing its own estate. Doing it on an urgent basis is is an option in our court. There you can literally have it done in a week. What happens then, the company or persons placed in provisional insolvency, sequestration, liquidation, depending on the context, and then you've got a return date, which is generally about a month or two in advance, where you have to come to get an order made final. In that interim period, the creditor will have to publish the order in the newspapers, have it served on the employees or trade unions, depending on the context, in order to get other parties the chance to come to court to say why that data should not be declared insolvent. So, Stefan, tell us a bit more about what are the risks involved or surrounding insolvency? Unfortunately, like with any process, insolvency doesn't come with others' risks in the sense that there is ultimately a chance that as a creditor, you will not be paid out of a, a dividend out of the estate. And that all just depends on the value of the estate and the other creditors that may have proven claims and the ranking of those claims. In the sense, let's just put it this way. If you've got a company that's been liquidated, it's got a property and it's got a mortgage bond over it, and that's its only asset, then ultimately the bank or whoever holds that mortgage is going to be paid out their claim. And if you are a concurrent creditor, Essentially, you are standing at the end of the queue of creditors and there's a big chance that you're not going to be paid out a dividend at all or at best a very small dividend. So ultimately, the risk is that you are not going to get your your full claim. Are we then saying that it is important for a creditor to choose his battles and to maybe do an assessment in advance to see what the possibility is of actually uh, getting back the funds owed? 100%. I think... If you decide to pursue the, the insolvency route, you really need to consider why you are doing it. Are you doing it because you want to draw that line in the sand and the moratorium of creditors? You want to get a, a liquidator the uh, into to be able to claw back assets, or are you really just trying to collect your debt? Another risk is a risk of of a contribution, what we call, and that that has reference to the admin charges of winding up the estate. So ultimately. A trustee and a liquidator, they are ultimately professionals. It's their job. They are appointed to wind up the estate. And that obviously comes with professional time, certain disbursements, um, such as bond of security, etc., etc. And that is what we call um, the admin charges in an insolvent estate. So sometimes what can happen is that when an estate is wound up and there isn't enough money to pay professional fees, certain of the creditors can be called upon to contribute to those charges. So those creditors will literally be asked to pay into the estate. So not only do you have a risk of not receiving full payment, you you can actually be called upon to pay the professional his fee. That risk lies more with the concurrent creditors and with a petitioning creditor in circumstances where you don't have any other concurrent creditors. The problem is, is that 
it's very difficult to anticipate this. So you have to weigh this up with all the other benefits um, that there is in declaring a party insolvent. You've mentioned a concurrent creditor. Is there different tiers of creditors and claims uh, relating to it in terms of settling it after insolvency? Yes. So you essentially have three ranks of creditors. Your secured creditors, that would be the best example is a bank with a mortgage over a property. Preferent creditors, that would be employees and SARS. And then your current creditors are the, the parties that just stand in line, your, your normal creditor. And with if there are more than one concurrent creditor, how would the claims be settled? Yeah, that's all based on the the value and the size of your claim, in the sense that the party with a 10 million rand claim is going to get more than a party with a million rand claim. Ultimately, how we loosely talk about it is you get essentially, let's say, 20 cents on the rand, or that's how your claim would be determined. I'm not saying that you always get 20 cents on the rand. I'm just saying it's a it's a ratio that they work. And then I think what everyone wants to know is, say you as a creditor take this route of declaring someone insolvent and there are actually funds to settle claims. Practically speaking, how does that work in actually settling the claims, given that you do sometimes have curators involved as well? Well, you will have uh, your your liquidator or your trustee will wind up the estate and they will convene creditors meetings where you'll prove your claim. And then depending on what has to happen to wind up this this estate, the estate will then essentially be closed. Um, the, the liquidator will submit a liquidation distribution account, um, which is open for inspection. And if it gets the rubber stamp of the master and the parties will get paid out. How long that will take all depends on what is in the estate and what it takes to successfully wind up the estate. So, for instance, if you have a company that's liquidated, but this company has a big debtor's book, um, obviously, it's in the interest of the creditors to see to what extent you can collect the debt, which is ultimately just an asset in the estate. The liquidator will then decide whether to actually pursue that debt. But that's just commenting on how long it can take. Just also bear in mind. If a company is liquidated, that doesn't necessarily stop you from pursuing surety. More often than not, directors, they are bound sometimes to creditors by way of a surety. So just because your company, principal debt, is liquidated, doesn't mean you can't pursue the sureties for the entire debt. Stefan, thank you so much for today. And speaking about creditors and their rights and the process in terms of insolvency. If someone wanted to contact you, how would they go about uh, getting hold of you? It's a pleasure. Um, yeah, I'm always happy to talk. You can phone me on 021-673-4700 or email me at stefan with an F, H at stbv.co.za. Thank you so much. Legally speaking, this podcast has come to an end. Thanks for joining the conversation. And if you like what you're hearing, visit us at stbb.co.za for more info.